fight with? You fight with a spouse or a partner? You fight with a child or children? Perhaps you fight with a parent? Perhaps you fight with randos online? above the board, or do you tend to try to get a little bit dirty? And where do your fights happen? Now notice I said these all questions assuming that you fight, because I'm assuming that you do. We all fight. And fighting's not necessarily fun, is it? Or then again, maybe it is. I was once told by my old rector in Pittsburgh that there are two types of people in the world. The first type of person is going to the baseball game and is going late. And as they're off to the game and they're driving there and they realize they're not going to be there when the first pitch happens, they start to fret and they worry and they say to themselves, man, I hope there's not somebody sitting in my seat really would not want to fight someone who's sitting in my seat. I, I don't want to have to confront them and tell them to move. And then there's the second type of person. The second type of person, finding themselves in the same situation, says, I hope there's somebody sitting in my seat so I can tell them to move on over. So whether we like fighting or we don't like Conflict is revealing. Because conflict, conflict can show us things. It can, it can reveal to us something about ourselves and something about the other. It can reveal to us our values. It can reveal to us our fears. Conflict can show us our shadow sides, and in turn it can show us the shadow side of the other. It can reveal to us what our resentments are. two people always fight, then we might wonder what's going on between them, right? There's probably something underlying that needs to be addressed, something real that's there and substantive that needs to be, that needs to be fleshed out and named. And if two people are close and they never well, then we might wonder about what's going on in that situation. It's a huge red flag, right? Because two people don't always get along all the time if they're close. There's something else there. To paraphrase Jesus from this morning, whenever two or three are gathered together, then there's a potential for a conflict. That's who we are. Humans fight. We disagree. We disagree about perspectives. We disagree about values. We, did, we want different things. We pursue different things. And all along the way, we cause
hoping for the best, and yet a harm happens. Or maybe we're trying to cause harm, despite our best selves. But whatever the case, when people fight, harm emerges. And the reality is, is that every level of human interaction, there is conflict. And there is harm. Even in the level of politics, even in the level of government, what is, go- what is government if not a way to try to figure out how to have conflict in a structured and productive way? Human beings fight with one another and But perhaps you say to yourself, well, what about the church? What about Christians? Maybe you think to yourself, oh, man, there's a group of people that are supposed to love each other all the time. Surely they would not fight. Surely. And I used to think that. when When I was young, I started to get involved more and more deeply in the church when I was a teenager. And I, I, I started to, to uh, you know, accolade more, and I was paying attention, and I started to see the actual people who went to actual church, not the imagined people that I had in my mind. And I watched these people, and I realized, oh my gosh, these people are, are petty. Sometimes they're small, sometimes they are mean, sometimes they're hypocritical. I can remember being so disillusioned right here, Christian community. We're supposed to love one another all the time, and yet here are human beings doing their thing, being mean and whatnot. And I and I said to a priest at the time, I said, "Gosh, what is up? Like this place is filled with mean, petty hypocrites." And that priest turned around on me and said, yes, and there's always room for one more. I guess I had found my home at that point. Let's face it, even in church, people love to fight. Sometimes they fight about big, meaningful issues, issues of theology, issues of justice, issues of of, of, uh, inclusion some of the church fights that have taken place in our church over the last 30 years on the big scale have been about fundamental things about human identity and the place and role of all people in the life of the church. And then there have been times where we have fought and, you know, we fought over things like the flowers, right? Or the colors of the bulletins or the lights in the space. Flowers, by the way, Cecil, are amazing. Not looking for a fight there. Good job. Yeah, exactly. Woo! But this is the case of the church, even, right? And where there's conflict, like I said, there will be harm. And so even in the church, we harm one another. It's a shame, but it's true. And the thing is, is that Jesus gets this. Jesus understands. 
Jesus recognizes who he is working with. And the new community that Jesus looks to form around this proclamation of the good news of God's inbreaking kingdom, this hope that Jesus has embodied in the life of a new community, he recognizes that even with all that, there are going to be times of conflict and disagreement. There are going to be times where folks harm one another. And what Jesus hopes is that we can fight well. Not that we won't fight, but that we can fight well. That we can fight constructively. And that we can address harm in ways that can be life-giving and restorative and not destructive. And Jesus, in today's gospel lesson, he gives us a process for addressing harm. Right? He says, if one member of the church sins against another, here's what you ought to do. First, the person who's been harmed goes to the person who has caused them harm. And there's a look to be a conversation where there can be a real acknowledgement of the harm that has been caused. If that, if reconciliation doesn't emerge out of that conversation, then there is this invitation to invite a few more people in and see what might come out of that broader conversation. And if even that doesn't work, then there's a way that includes the greater community so that the harm might be addressed. And there is with this even the idea that some harms cannot be addressed, and that there are times where an exclusion of someone is appropriate if the harm has been such that it warrants it. Jesus presents out this process. And let's admit that this process is not by any stretch perfect. It does not have a sure-fired way to make sure that every conflict resolves itself well. Because the reality is there's still people involved in the process. And nor is the process a one-size-fits-all type of a thing. It doesn't mean that in every situation this is the process that should be, that should be followed if one member of the community is harmed another. Because, in part, there's a huge potential for abuse here. It ignores power differentials, the, the model that Jesus offers here. It doesn't acknowledge that there are times where, where we are not operating on an equal playing field. But what this process does do, I think, is it gives us some helpful principles. And these principles, in part, include things like discretion. Right? There's, a, there's a, a, an ear towards trying to limit the scope of the conflict. To try to keep it within two, between the two people who are harmed and the, and the one who caused harm. Or maybe another small circle. It begins there as a way of trying to keep the ripples of effect from affecting the whole of the community. This process also recognizes that, that, that sometimes conflict is 
intractable, that it's not, that it's such that it, we can't fix it. And where that's the case, there's an ability to address that. Moreover, there's a recognition that in the life uh, between two individuals in Christian community, that whatever exists between those two individuals doesn't just affect the two of them, but affects the whole. It affects the actual whole community. The whole life of the community is, in some sense, harmed when one harms another. For indeed, we are all connected one to another, members of the body of Christ. Another principle that stands out for me is this attempt at reconciliation, This always this move towards trying to find a way to bring people back into the fullness of relationship with one another. But it also admits that conflict is not always there are times where folks are going to have to walk apart. And there's even a word here towards what I would like to call hopeful exclusion. And I say hopeful because what Jesus does is he says, let that, let those, the, the person who has caused harm, who has to be excluded from the community, let them be like, like a Gentile and a tax collector. But we know that Jesus' ministry is primarily to tax collectors. It is primarily to those who are outside the bounds of community. And so even in the exclusion, there's an ear towards an eventual reconciliation, an eventual welcoming in. Yes, in this world, there will be times where exclusion is necessary, but the hope is ultimately or inclusion. But I think the thing that stands out the most for me in this little description that Jesus has to say, in this little process that Jesus lays out, is Jesus names where he will be. And where will Jesus be? Jesus says to them, Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be in the midst of them. Which is to say, in the midst of the conflict, there Jesus is. In the wounds, there Jesus is. Jesus is not siding with one person or another. Jesus is not, here at least, naming himself to be seen in primarily. You might look to other places where that would be the case. But here, Jesus talks about himself being in the midst of them. There is Jesus with the people in the midst of the conflict. Jesus is there as the source of truth-telling. Jesus is the truth that needs to be spoken in the harm Jesus is there to inspire reconciliation, to inspire insight, to help to see the dynamics that are in play in the midst of the conflict. Jesus is there in the strength, both the strength to admit, and, and well, rather first, 
to name the harm that has been caused. But more than just that, to be there, the strength to admit the fault of the one who has caused harm. Jesus is there in the capacity to say sorry. And in that way, Jesus is there to be a source of healing, a source of forgiveness, a source of reconciliation. We often think about God with us in times that are wonderful and blissful, times where we protected our, where there seems to be a, a palpable sense of peace and spiritual connection. We imagine God being with us in the moments of glory, the moments where community seems to be just thriving and clicking on all cylinders. What Jesus tells us today is that, yes, God's presence with us in those places, but here, Jesus tells us that even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of harm, there drawing us towards reconciliation, drawing us towards forgiveness, drawing us to a place where our wounds can be healed, where we can truly repent, where we can redeem the truth about ourselves so that even the one who has caused harm can be healed. This is the way that God is with us, not always in those moments of glory, but in these moments of conflict and pain. And we're invited in the midst of conflict to recognize that there is such a thing as good conflict, that it can be productive and life-giving and healing and renewing and restorative. And if this is so, then God is there at work in the midst of it, in the midst of all of it. And in this way, there is nothing to fear from fighting the good fight in a good way let me remind you love one another even when you're fighting all might have said